And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC, and I would be remiss, friends, if I didn't tell you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, and they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. All right, friends, we have actually talked about today's guest on the show on Startup Hustle many, 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 many times. Edna Martinson is the co-founder of Bottle Learning, an ed tech software. And we're going to learn more about that. But I, I just want you to know that Matt DeCourcy and I have literally had a conversation about the fact that Clarence Tan and Edna Martinson, founders of Bottle Learning, they used to live in Kansas City. And we love them. We just love them. They're doing incredible work. They're amazing founders. They're doing the deal. They're making it happen. And now they don't live in Kansas City anymore, and it breaks our heart a little bit. So I am extremely proud and glad to introduce to you Edna Martinson. Hey, Edna. Thank you so Hi, much for being on the show. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for having me. For sure. I, I, I am so excited about this. Uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and hop right into it. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the perennial question. Tell us about your journey. Okay. Um, tell us about your journey. So I am, I feel like I should mention this because um, I'm always really proud of where I come from. So I'm from, I was born in Uganda um, and I grew up in Ghana, uh, West Africa. That's where my dad is from. Um, and I came to the U.S. in 2009 for college um, and I came when I was 16 years old. Um, a big thing for me when I was growing up is sort of that doors that education had opened up for me. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I finished high school early and, and I knew I could get into college early if I had studied really hard for the SATs. And so um, that always played a really big role for me in my life. Um, it's the reason I was able to end this Every international student can relate to this. You know, people are like, oh my gosh, like you, you got your undergrad and then your MBA. And really it was like, just how am I going to stay in America? Okay, I, let me go get an MBA. Um, and so education yeah. really has been a big part of my life. Um, and I was really passionate. I met Clarence Tan, who's also my husband. Um, in 2015 well, or 16. Really quickly, you also have a very, very adorable young one, by the by. I see the pictures on oh, social media. Yeah. I just wanted, to, just wanted to share that. <laughs> but continue. year old. Um, so in 2016, after grad school, I met Clarence, or during grad school, probably. Um, and he's a game designer, super passionate about games. Um, and we were both really passionate about that intersection between games and education. Like the, what impact can games have in the education space when you're delivering learning to kids through a medium that they absolutely love and enjoy? Um, how can that help to improve their outcomes? And 
that was really the start of our journey um, to building Bottle. And we started okay. Bottle in Kansas City, even though we don't live there anymore. We still have our home there and we're in Kansas City a lot, especially once the weather gets warmer. So. <laughs> Did you just hear me scoff when I said that? I was like, Mwah. <laughs> no, we, we miss you. I mean, we used to see you, you and Clarence, uh, you know, at entrepreneurial events and things like that all all over the place. And so so your absence is felt. I don't know if, if that has uh, been communicated to you, but it is. <laughs> Um, so, so I love, I love what bottle does and I love what bottle represents, but first things first, I'm going to zoom us out just a little bit and I'm going to talk about the education landscape. And so I think, you know, cause I think you and I first met when I was still working for an organization that has a focus on experiential entrepreneurial education. And so I was very interested in what bottle had to offer. But one of the things that I learned, noticed, saw during my time within the education space, such as it was, like I've never been an educator, but I was just kind of tangentially related to it. But one of the things that I, that we talked about a lot was the fact that our education system, it struggles in some ways. And, and please know that I give all the love in the world to educators out there. You do incredible work with very few resources and very little support. And I think all of that needs to change. But the fact is we are still educating our children in in ways that that we educated our children a hundred years ago. You know, we mm-hmm. still have educational pedagogy and paradigms that they're very old and they don't necessarily still reflect the way that are not only the way that our that students actually learn, but the society for which we are preparing for them, right? Or that we're preparing them for. And so so there's this new I don't, I don't even know if it's new, but it, it's coming to the public consciousness is this idea of experiential education. How do you involve your students in real world learning so that they can take the skills learned in a safe place, but then apply it when they matriculate, graduate, go on to college, go on to trades, whatever it is. So, so mm-hmm. is that kind of an accurate setting the stage? <laughs> do you agree? <laughs> Um, no, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you talk about, you know, sort of the the trends in education and how slow it's been to innovate in that space. And we saw the field um, very much come to like a um, a reckoning during COVID because all of a sudden it's like all the kids have to learn remote now and, you know, teachers have to be given the tools to be able to educate kids in remote settings and, all of a sudden, it, the you know education industry was kind of turned over its head and needed to catch up really quickly. Um, and so you did start to see a lot more like ed tech being implemented into the classrooms, but still it was being done in, we were in like a pandemic crisis mode, you know what I mean? And so um, a lot of the things that were being implemented, even like the, the time it was taking for teachers to get those things implemented, everything was sort of, you know, rushed in a sense. Um, and I think we yeah. still have a long way to go. Um, it's great that you still see EdTech continue to be implemented as um, kids have gone back in person, but there is still definitely a long way to go to to kind of catch up and make sure that we're educating kids in a way that does prepare them better for um, the world yeah. that they're stepping into. Exactly. Well, so so enter Bottle. 
Now talk to us about bottle learning. Um, I'd be really interested to hear how you were inspired to, to start this beautiful piece of ed tech. Let's, let's hear a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so I'd mentioned that Clarence and I both really passionate about that intersection of games and education. Um, yeah. When we had first started, uh, we actually just had like a basic sort of prototype. Um, we had gone into a, an after school program, actually, in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, and we were working with, with the kids over there. And that, that was like a big moment for me when, you know, kind of trying to figure out like, is what I'm building actually like useful or impactful? And back then, I mean, this prototype was nothing to write home about, right? But this this um, student. I mean, they, they never are, right? Like they never really are. When we're talking about like go to market, I think there's that saying out there that like, if you're releasing your product when it's perfect, you're releasing it too late, too late. right? Yep. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, continue. Like so, so it was a hot mess, but you had the the pillars, and you had the direction, and you kind of knew what you were trying to build. Yeah, exactly. And um, so we go into this classroom, and they'd been like testing it out in after school classroom, and um, the after school director told us she's like, "Oh my goodness, this student is never enthusiastic about math class or math time, and now they're really excited. Like they're excited to do it um on bottle and." That was sort of a moment for me where it's like, whoa, like the kids are excited <laughs> about math because we're delivering it through a fun and interactive, you know, gaming format. Um, and so that's when it was like, OK, yes, let's let's continue in this direction. Let's continue to get as much feedback as we can from educators and from the kids themselves and keep building it, you know, better and better. Yeah. Well, so so I have never actually used the bottle tool. I've seen like screenshots. I've seen kind of like user. I, I've seen you pitch multiple times, actually, you and Clarence. And so I, I kind of have a base understanding of it. But for our listeners, what exactly is Bottle? That's a great question. Um, so Bottle <laughs> is a gaming platform for education. Um, and we're focused on building really fun and interactive 3D games. Think the type of games that kids play outside of the classroom um, just for you know entertainment and then finding pockets in there to um, infuse learning content um, and then tie, you know, we're very specific about how we design our, our game design so that we're tying learning incentives to game incentives as well. Um, and right now we're focused on kindergarten through sixth grade math and English, uh, but we really built the platform up to where any type of content can be delivered through it. So there's a game and then there's a teacher and parent portal where teachers and parents can go assign content um, view student progress as well, um, and then personalized learning. Because we know that in a classroom of 30 kids, not all kids are on the same learning level. Yeah. Well, and, and so the that that is absolutely fabulous. But the fact is, like, gamification of learning, it's not necessarily a super new concept. Like, I'm thinking of, you know, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Like, to this day, I still know where certain countries are and what their capitals are because of Carmen San Diego. Or, yeah. you know, Oregon Trail. That was the, I'm aging myself a little bit. But Oregon <laughs> Trail, when I was in school, like, that was a big deal to be able to uh -huh. play this game that taught you about the history of pioneer life. And like, I still, to this day, I know what dysentery is and it's probably because of Oregon Trail, you know? So, yeah. so it's not a new concept, but are you finding, I, I, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're finding 
better adoption avenues, like finding teachers who are really, really ready and able to buy into this idea that if we make learning fun, kids will learn better, right? Yes, <laughs> do you find, do you find that that's true? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that along with um, delivering it in a game format that's a little different. So for example, if you think like um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego or Oregon Trail, they're very specific, like gameplay designed around specific learning topics. Um, right. But now we're kind of flipping it to where it's like, how do we put just fun and interactive games? You know, we've got um, like uh, multiplayer games that kids can play together. But like, for example, if I was, um, if I was uh, learning Spanish and you were, learning science, we could still play together in the same game, but you would get your science content, I would get my Spanish content. So it's sort of building up this this library of games, if you will, that kids have their bottle characters that they can jump from game to game to and learn and their learning progress follows them. So you can learn whatever you want. So imagine being able to learn whatever you want while playing Oregon Trail, essentially. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would love that. I always loved those games growing up. Now, you, you're in a little bit of trouble, Edna. And I, I don't know if you know uh -oh. this. Uh, first things first, because you left Kansas City and broke my heart a little bit. So big <laughs> hugs. We miss you. Uh, but secondly, because I actually, I had a front row seat to parts of your journey. And so I'm here to like pick your brain about them. So uh -huh. one of the things that I know that you availed yourself of is uh, the Lean Lab program right? Mm -hmm. that, yeah. That's actually, I believe that happened fairly, fairly early on in your evolution. So talk to us about that opportunity and, and how it helped you to develop and deploy this product. Yeah. Um, so shout out to the Lean Lab team because they are awesome. And I love that um, Lean Lab focuses on this sort of, um, I hope I'm saying this right, but like co-design framework, right? And it's like bringing um, educators to the table when you talk about designing a tech product. So it sounded yeah. like an incredible opportunity if we could bring Bottle to the table and, and sit alongside educators who would pilot it and give us some great feedback on like, this is this is what's great. This is what could be changed. Because uh, then we know that we're actually building a product that's going to be making an impact and that they're actually going to use and love. Um, and so yeah. that experience was awesome for us because we got to pilot it with um, classrooms in Kansas City and get real feedback from teachers on like what they loved, what they wanted changed. Um, so yeah, that was a big part of our like uh, early growth story. Yeah. So, so in those those sessions when you were working with these educators, and 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 I love the fact that you were you were beta testing with mm -hmm. with these educators and their students. What kind of feedback were you were you receiving that you then actioned? Yeah. Um, oh, so this is a, this is one. They said too many emails. <laughs> okay. So they would send emails to teachers on like this. How you can use bottle? FYI, bottle. Do this with bottle. And they were just like the emails are too much, y'all. So now we I, now we know <laughs> we have a lot better like open rate on our emails, and we're not sending that many unless it's something really necessary for teachers. So we don't have like you know huge unsubscribes. So that was really helpful. Number one. Um, two, it was great to just know like the use cases because we built something and we're like, oh, this is going to be so great for homework. Right. And then we realized, yeah. wow, they're using it in math rotation stations. And as like an early finisher for the kids who finish, you know, their work early, it's like jump on bottle. 
And so finding out all those use cases, it helped us tremendously even in marketing because now when we're talking to other teachers, we're like, here, here, here are some other use cases for a bottle. Um, and teachers were just yeah. resonating. Yeah. Well, and that would be really, really, really helpful. And I, th this is a little bit of, you know, free advice for our listeners, but one of my favorite, favorite things to do with Innovate Her, and you're actually an Innovator member, by the by, uh, I believe you still are. But um, one of the things that I love to do is I love to listen other people introduce us because yeah. that is how I find out, like, what are we messaging? What are people picking up? And what is most valuable to yeah. our audience and our constituents? And so you actually got to do that on, like, a very granular scale, scale like speaking directly to the students and the educators that you want to serve, right? So, so I love that. That's an, that's an amazing piece of market research right there. So, so kudos on figuring that out. So, so you go through the Lean Lab, you, you make some adjustments, you, and, and you're building this product. And, and the thing about entrepreneurial development is like it's a constant reiterative process, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least it seems so on the outside looking in. Uh, talk to us about that. How did you decide where to go next with the product? Um, yeah, a lot of it was based on the feedback that we were getting. Um, so for example, even... We launched early 2020 and it was just a, um, a web version. So there was no like iOS and Android. And we kept getting messages from, you know, teachers who were using iPads in the classroom, like, hey, we would love to use it, but we can't. So that prompted us on like, okay, we need to have an iOS version for this. Um, at the time, we only had a teacher portal and parents were still signing up for the teacher portal, but, you know, it was just so complicated for them. They had to create a classroom for just one child and... So we realized, oh, we need a parent portal that makes it a lot easier for parents to kind of track their child's progress as well. Um, yeah. And then from kids too, kids kids give you the most brutally honest feedback on what they like and they don't like. So that was <laughs> also in terms of the gameplay. Okay. So so just out of curiosity, this is really just me asking because I want to know, but like when kids give you that like really brutally honest feedback, is a lot of it actionable? Because I'm I'm imagining like, this game sucks. And it's like, well, that's cool. But I don't know what you can do with that. <laughs> you know, were you, were you getting like really specific feedback from the kids? Um, so actually, yes, uh, there's definitely Yay. some of those that were, you know, a, li a little less actionable. Like, I don't know what we can do with this, but especially when it comes to like, what do they want? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's like, yes, we want a, you know, a game that we can play with our friends, like multiplayer. Oh, you should add outfits. That's like an ice cream outfit and like a wizard outfit. And so they're, you know, they're very vocal when it comes to like what yeah. they want to see. I think okay. what's harder for kids and getting their feedback on is like, um, what do you not like and how would you want it to change? Then it's kind of like, ah, uh, they, especially younger kids, it's, that's harder for them. But if they know exactly what they want, they'll let you know. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I I have noticed that as well as someone who has gotten uh, brutally honest feedback from students. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, uh, this is exactly what I want, but sometimes it hurts my feelings. Uh, at any rate, so so you are building you're building a tech product though. You mentioned that Clarence has a background in building games, and I feel like he's a tech guy. Are you a, a technical founder? 
I am not a technical founder, um, which came with a lot of like imposter syndrome around, you know, being co-founder of a tech company. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Clarence has that background in game design and my background's been in marketing and operations. Okay. All very useful skills for, for startups <laughs> yeah. to have. Uh, what was it like having to build a, a team or having to build a software development, uh, I guess, an avenue to develop this tool? Uh, what was that like? Was it was it tough? For me, yes, I that 100% it was. Um, I think there was just a lot that I had to learn in terms of like, coming from a non-technical founder, right? I had never done a sprint. Like I, somebody had to even explain to me like what a sprint was or um, yeah. even just trying to figure out like in terms of, like I knew what we needed, right? We need like somebody who understands Unity to help us build on the game side, but understanding even like the processes around a development team and um, ha making sure like you have proper documentation, like that's all the stuff I was learning as we were going. Um, yeah. so definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way, but, um, at the end of the day, I think like the, luckily for us, I mean, as long as you have enough, like runway to learn, like you, you, you keep improving and get there. <laughs> For sure. Well, so, so I, I think we all know that finding expert software developers can be really, really difficult, but it doesn't have to be, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. I love that affordably piece. Use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Friends, we are here today with Edna Martinson, one of the co-founders of Bottle Learning. And, and, and we've talked about, you know, some of the challenges and some of the struggles. We talked about that user feedback. But one of the things that I really, really, really want to talk to you about is your successes. Because another thing that I know about your history is that you've gotten some pretty... Um, well-known, so some pretty well-known funders and supporters and advocates to back your play. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Like, I, I think I remember the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gave you a, a pretty significant grant, maybe. Am um, I remembering this correctly? It was not a grant, but they did sponsor us to go to um, this conference, ASU GSV. Uh, Google did, did give us a grant, yes. Yeah. So, so you you have done something that a lot of tech product founders find very, very difficult. You have raised money with pretty high profile organizations. Can you talk to us about that process and what it felt like, what it looked like? Um, yeah, I can probably even start from, you know, the, the beginning when we were in Kansas city, um, still kind of building the product and piling it, piloting it before launch. A big thing for me, because Clarence and I are the ones who write all the grants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was just like every night, almost every night and lots of the weekends spending time, like looking up grant opportunities, um, seeing what we can apply for, any pitch competitions. And so it was a lot of that. I don't know how many we even applied to, but we would keep an application library of like, okay, and, you know, apply for this, save the answers there. If we get rejected, put them in the rejection pile. And we got rejected a lot. Um, but I think, yeah, <laughs> I think once we started to get like a, a few yeses, um, then it started to open up the network because what's great is like for Google, we got into the Google for startups program, which opened up 
our network to, you know, the Google network and other founders that were going through the program. And then I found out about um, other opportunities, like we did Pharrell Williams' Black Ambition um, and, and won a $50,000 prize with them um, and were part of their first cohort. And so I just feel like once once you, we started to get like one win, two wins, it was really the network yeah. that it opened us to um, and which opened us up to more opportunities. Because in the end of the day, it really is just about like the relationships that you're building. Um, yeah. No, I absolutely, I, I totally, I see that. And one of the things that we talk about in entrepreneurial circles here in Kansas City, and I can't imagine that it's super different in a lot of different uh, cities across the country, but we talk about that deal flow piece where once you get the okay from one person, it then becomes easier for your for that network that you're building. It, it, it's almost like it gives you some legitimacy. And if you're dealing with risk averse investors, to see somebody else take the plunge and just do the thing and give you the money, it, it opens up all kinds of doors. And so it sounds like that's kind of what you experienced. Like you just needed to get one or two. And then from that point forward, it became much easier to fundraise because you had already kind of proven out that people think that we're investable, right? <laughs> yep, yep. So, so, so I love that. I, one of my, I guess, kind of struggles with that is like, you know, you got to find that person to take the plunge. So, so what did that look like? You said, you said you, that you applied to a lot of grants, you got a lot of re rejections, but as you were kind of moving through these processes, how did you refine your grant finding, applying, uh, you know, follow-up relationship building processes? What did they look like when you started versus now that you are, I mean, you're seen as a very, very credible, very up and coming startup for sure. Um, you know, you're in a very different place now than when you started. So how did your fundraising process change from beginning to end? Um, yeah. So in the beginning, it was a lot of just find an application and focusing a lot on like um, answering it, just just every application the same way. And I realized I can't do that. And I need to think deeper on like, what are they, you know, looking for? Like we got into the first big accelerator we got into was AT&T's Aspire um, with Sandra and Amy, who are incredible individuals and they were leading the program. Um, and I think what we did well in that application was really looking at like, oh, who are the past companies that AT&T Aspire had funded and accepted in the accelerator? Um, really looking through like their, whatever was on the site and like, what are they looking for? And then seeing how to tailor app application to that while still t uh, staying true to who Bottle is. And I think that really helped a lot. Um, I also started reaching out to other founders who had like gone through programs or gotten grant, fu grant funding or were in a portfolio of, of specific investors I wanted to chat with and just ask them like, hey, how was the process for you? And getting that feedback was really helpful as well because then I understood like, I understood what they were looking for better and I could tailor like the way I was applying and, and writing things out um, to really okay. meet what they're looking for. Okay. Well, so you said two really interesting things in there. So I'm going to call out one and I'm just going to say, hey, 
founders listening at home, make sure that you are applying for grants that fit within your wheelhouse and that, you know, you feel that you're able to deliver on what the the grantors are looking for. Um, I really like that as a piece of advice, like make sure that you're tailoring your grant applications for each individual organization and what they have to offer. So I love that. Um, the other piece that I kind of want to call out a little bit is the fact that um, you stayed strong. You, what you said was you were like, without compromising bottle. And so I just kind of want to call out, what exactly did you mean by that? I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> yeah, I, that means like not finding a, I'm just going to pick something random, like um, Department of Defense grant, you know, and being like, how can I make bottle fit this Department of Defense <laughs> grant and completely go a different direction of like what we're trying to build. Um, so like yeah. you said, has to be a grant that fits into the wheelhouse of what we're doing and then just, you know, aligning our application to, to what they're looking for. Yeah. Well, so, so dollars are sexy and like, we know that, but in the impact space, the space that I operate within, like I don't have a tech product, but I can tell you that in the impact space, we call that mission creep where you're trying to find funding, you're trying to find supporters. And so you're changing what makes you you, you're changing your foundational values, ethics, your stated beliefs and practices, because you're chasing after the almighty dollar, which believe you me, friends, I get it. I understand it. But I think that one of the things that's most impressive about Bottle and one of the things that our founders really have to put a focus on is like, you know, we have to stay true. Like we determined our values, we yep. determined what we stand for, and we determined what we want to accomplish. And we cannot allow outside forces to change that. And it sounds like that's what you did with Bottle. How do you, how do you, that's like, well done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to clap hands for you. But how do you feel about that? Staying so strong in your sense of purpose? Um, yeah, it, it was a big thing for us. And I think what's beneficial for every company is to go through that, like really finding your core values, both like internally for the team that you want to build, because that's so important. Like the, the team you build that's going to help build your product is it, it matters so much. And then like around your company and like you said, like your mission um, and values. Uh, I love um for specifically for a team, like Netflix has a really good, I don't know what they call it, but like their core, it, maybe just Google Netflix core values, but they have it spelled out really, really well. Um, so that was something that was really interesting to re read and made us put a focus on like, we want to make sure we know what our core values are as a team. And then like, we want to make sure we know like fully as a company where we're going and what we stand for. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. And I, as someone who's kind of been watching your journey for a while, like I've definitely seen you hold your ideals and your beliefs and your purpose very, very closely. And, and I, I really do admire that. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you the worst question, and then I'm going to ask you the best question. But talk to us about a time when you felt challenged as an entrepreneur, like time, I mean, we all know that entrepreneurship is hard. Sometimes it's total bullshit. But talk to us, talk to us about that. What were some of the challenges that you and Clarence experienced on the journey? Um, there's so many. <laughs> Literally <laughs> this week. Um, yeah, we could just, I mean, honestly, like we could talk about this for like five hours, no problem, but just pick a couple. <laughs> uh, I think okay, here's one that I'll pick is um when we were raising our pre-seed round. Um, I mean, we had a product that like teachers seem to love, um, you know, we're getting users on the platform, 
but and then we're trying to raise raise around so we can keep growing. Um, but in the back end, when we really started digging into the data, that this was like twenty early. No, this was twenty twenty. This was late twenty twenty really started digging into the data, we realized that we weren't retaining users, right? And that's a big thing. Like bringing yeah. a whole bunch of people into the top funnel seems awesome, but if you're not retaining them, then you just have this big leaky bucket. And so one the first day that we fully dug into the data and we're like, shit, like we really don't have that many users like constantly using Bottle. Um, that was really hard. But it, and, and then it was like right at the time where we had all these investor calls back to back, so then I'm going into these meetings. I'm supposed to be like really enthusiastic about this company, but I can't get it out the back of my head that like we have this huge leaky bucket. Um, so that was really hard. And actually, even in that time, like um, trying to wrestle with, hey, we need investors to give us a check, number one, but then also who can come alongside us and really help us grow. And so even just wrestling with like, uh, do we just like, this is the first conversation. I don't want to just tell you we have this huge leaky bucket, but also I want to be completely honest with you, you know, if you're going to move forward yeah. and invest. In so that was like a really, really challenging season. And then I think at the same time, um, and, and lots of companies can resonate with this when you're like, when your product goes down, you know, you've got some downtime and you're trying to get it back up, you know, cause something crashed. We went through another season where it was like, tons of users were rushing in, which is awesome. But then we just couldn't handle the scale. So we kept crashing. And again, around that time, it was like having these investor conversations. And it's literally like the conversation starts. I'm like, hi, hello, nice to meet you, Edna. And then I look across my phone and I see a Slack message. Come on, like game is down. And I'm like, no, I just want and then I'm supposed to keep going in this conversation. So those are really, really hard times. Um, we're thankfully yeah. out of that now. We've got like almost a million monthly active users, which is awesome because at that time it was like 2,000 monthly active users. Um, so we're doing a lot better, but that was very, very stressful times. <laughs> I bet. I mean, of course it is. And I mean, honestly, I feel as though stress is like that – I feel like that's the foundation of every founder's life. Like you're all as a, as an entrepreneur, you are always going to have like a baseline level of stress, but when it jumps up and you have everything kind of hitting the fan and everything's going wrong at once, like that stress increases exponentially, but it, it increases or decreases your ability to do the thing. Like it becomes just that much harder to actually do the work because you're in such a tough mindset. And like, I've experienced it pretty much every founder I have ever met in my life is just like, you know, it's mindset that, that builds around what you're actually trying to accomplish. So, so I hear that I give you like, I'm, I'm actually giving you like the hug gesture right now, but I, I give you a hug for that. Let's talk about the flip side of the coin. What are some some pretty cool, amazing moments that you've had with with Bottle? I, I, I really want to hear this. This one's going to make me happy, which is why I saved it for last. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, let's see. I think um, in early 2021, we, we made several hires and really built out um, our development team. That was such that was a really great time. Um, Recently, we were able to bring a lot of our team in the U.S. down to Tulsa to just get together. Yeah. And that's awesome. Just like all being in one room and like just looking around and being like, wow, this is this is incredible. Like we get to be here together as a team. Um, that was great. Um, 
I think we started doing these um, we last year in December and January and this year January we did these virtual career days where we went to classrooms virtually, talked to them about how we built the game and asked the students questions, and like some of these students' faces, like just when they saw us pop up on the screen, it was like the best feeling ever. Like oh my. And they just knew everything when they were telling us, like, I have these many knowledge points in the game and this is what level I'm at. And it's just so crazy to see kids kind of relate to it the way I would relate to a game that I loved when I was younger. Um, We got to go to one classroom in person. And at the end of our talk, this child comes up to Clarence and he's like, he has his little paper. He's like, can I have your autograph? (laughs) It was the sweetest moment. I love that. Love that so much. That makes me. You're like and education. Funnier, like signs it, and then this little kid. We went to it was second grade class. He looks at it and he says, "You just scribbled." <laughs> it looks like scribbles. <laughs> that that is so cute. Well, well. So tell me, I I love that story so much. It makes me really happy. And I, next time I see you and Clarence, I'm going to be like, "Can I have your autograph?" Like I kind of like it. <laughs> Uh, but talk to us about the future of bottle. Like you, you're in, you're in Tulsa now, or are you yep. in Oklahoma? I know you're in Oklahoma. I'm like, I'm not sure which, which city you're in, but, uh, you're in Tulsa now. And so you are availing yourself. We actually just, Matt and I recorded an episode where we talked about Tulsa's top startups. I think that's actually oh, how we're doing this interview. But um, we did, it, it's really incredible what Tulsa is doing to shore up their entrepreneurial community and their ecosystem. They're doing some really cool stuff. You're in Tulsa now. Um, talk to us about next steps. What direction are you heading with Bottle? Yeah, uh, before I say that, I just want to say thank you to y'all and the team for highlighting the startups in Tulsa. This, it really does mean a lot to like the community here um, yeah. to have that. That was awesome. Um and for us, you know, Matt and I are a little bitter about it because we, we've seen multiple founders go from Kansas City to Tulsa. And we're just like, can you can you give back our rock stars? Can we have them back? And then they're like, no, not until you start doing awesome stuff like this. And I'm just like, well, shit. All right. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> um, so Tulsa and Northwest Arkansas, there's a lot of they're starting to do a lot of stuff together. And it's nice because it's only like an hour and a half away. And I really want like the Kansas City ecosystem and Tulsa ecosystem. Oh, you literally have in Northwest Arkansas. I'm showing Edna. I met with some folks from Endeavor, which is a Northwest Arkansas entrepreneurial uh, organization and ESO. And I I literally have a book or a booklet on my desk right now that says Mapping Northwest Arkansas, a network analysis of the entrepreneurship community, because we're going to start stealing that shine. I'm like, let's start doing these things. (laughs) But continue. What would happiest is when like KC ecosystem and Tulsa ecosystem start doing a lot of stuff together, which you guys have already like, I feel like creating this bridge by highlighting the Tulsa startup. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, so yes, future of bottle. Um, a big thing for us is building out more social um, gaming features. And so we know like kids love to interact with, with each other um, socially online. And so making it where, there's a lot more social interaction on Bottle. And then the second thing is opening it up to, you know, more than math and English. Because right now people really look at Bottle as this like math platform, this English platform. But once our plan is really to open that up to where it's the platform, when a kid says like, oh, I want to learn something in a fun way, like they think Bottle first and they can go in and find any topic. And so 
opening that up for for publishers and teachers to put in their own content is a big part of the next steps. Yeah. Well, well, I love that. And I, I cannot wait to see it. And of course, it has been wonderful talking to you. But we are now it is now time for the human question. And I've asked you some some pretty like, I feel like they were complex questions at points. So I'm going to take it real easy on you for the human question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What are you reading right now? What are you reading? <laughs> what am I reading right now? Um, I'm reading The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about that. Are you, are you enjoying it? Have you picked up any fun uh, fun knowledge? Um, that's a good question. I literally just started a few days ago, so I'm not very far along. I have read the foreword. <laughs> okay. You know what? That's totally cool. Sometimes that's all that you can ask of yourself. Like, you know, I'm just going to read this when I can. Well, so, so that the five dysfunctions of a team is that's what it's called. Yep. That's what it's called. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and add that to my, my reading list. And Edna, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us. I, it's always a pleasure, my friend. <laughs> thank you for having me. This is awesome. For sure. And friends, we are so glad that you come back and listen to us week after week. I want to remind you that if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. They have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer just a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And friends, I know that we have talked a little bit about Tulsa in this recording, and I'm going to go ahead and point you to our top startups episodes. Uh, usually it's me and Matt or Matt and Matt, but we, we do top startups and we travel around the, the country trying to find awesome startups and communities. I'm going to point you to top startups in Tulsa. Um, it was a great episode. Matt and I recorded it. And I would ask you to take a look at it because we do mention bottle learning as well as some really, really incredible founders and companies that are doing some great work. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Again, thank you so much for keeping keeping us on your playlist. You know, we love to we love to hear from you. We love our audience. Keep on coming back and we will catch you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.